<laughs> I was up till what? Three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning watching racing. <laughs> you guys call me the old man. Jeez. Because I was definitely up late and I'm here on the West yeah. Coast, right? So like you were yeah. still going out of probably like three thirty, four in the morning. I was like, Christ, man, that's a long day. Yeah, it was a thing. It was all right. It shows commitment I, as a fan, right? Yeah, we enjoy it. I should have stopped drinking at 2 a.m. What the fuck? <laughs> at least you made it as the person who lay down in bed with his beer. The gridwalk was just over. They were about to get onto the anthems. And I woke up an hour and a half later. It was lap 42. I've got you all beat. <laughs> I have you all beat. I fell asleep 10 minutes in to the pre-race show on Formula One. <laughs> well, look, I actually thought it was fun because for me, racing always starts for the most part very early in the day. So it's never something that you get to have a couple of beverages and watch, or at least if you're in my time zone. So being able to watch it kind of late at night, particularly on a Saturday, was fun. It was different. I agree. I love being able to say, oh, okay, it's 1130, midnight, whatever it is. I'm going to turn on a pre-practice or qualifying or race, as the case may be, on the days leading up. And we feel some of the pain that the uh, fans on that side of the world feel. I honestly didn't know what to do with myself on Sunday. Like, I literally, like, almost called Phil and asked him where I should go to church. Like, it was... <laughs> and with that, it's lights out on another episode of Living F1, where the circus finds itself this week in Australia, down under... Well, we had the rumble in Melbourne. It was great times. We saw all kinds of things happening. Ferrari doing what Ferrari does. Red Bull doing what Red Bull does. We saw Return of the Mick as McLaren shows up again. A little bit of improvement from some other racers, plus a couple of Canadians bringing the big bang to the race. Let's jump right into it. How we doing, boys? Gareth, how are you? Oh, happy to have racing back. It was weird. Like a week without racing, the week before this, and I was like, what do I do with myself this weekend? So I need my fix. I need to take up golfing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the purists. Speaking of which, Spence, how are things on the left coast? I think they're pretty good on the left coast, Randy. Just enjoying my brown ale and slowly getting back in shape after what was a bit of a big master Sunday for me. It worked out really well that F1 and the Masters said they were on different days. So I will thank the sporting gods for that one. And, uh, and I've lived to fight another day. I tell you, man, I'm dying because I don't think Allie's going to let me watch sports for like a good solid two weeks because I had opening night of baseball Friday night. And then we had F1 and then woke up Saturday and rewatched everything. And then there was baseball game that day and then masters and then more F1 and then more masters, and more baseball. And there was some speed skating on at one point, like. It was brilliant. You didn't watch the UFC, Randy? What's wrong? That's, uh, those guys are too small for me. <laughs> Speaking of which, Professor, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. It was a good weekend. I don't like the Australian time zone. I'll get that right out there. It messes up with me completely. I hear you. You know, I watched a lot of replays, had to avoid my phone and emails and texts like mad before everything was watched, but it was good. Yeah, you guys were up far earlier than I would have expected you to be on a Sunday with tracks back to the text. I don't understand. Gareth was up with me. I mean, I was up my normal time, right? But Gareth, you were up early on Sunday this time. I don't know what happened. I just woke up and I'm like, I know there's a Formula One race because I saw 30 seconds of it when I woke up at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see exactly what it is. It's the amount of time between the race and when I actually watch it has arrived, I have to watch the race. That's why you're up. I get it. No, like I'd fallen asleep watching the race <laughs> or, you know, the formation lap. And then I woke up, it was like lap 40 something. I'm like, Leclerc, 
Perez, where's Verstappen? I can't know this. I had to like close my <laughs> computer and turn around and go to sleep. So I woke up, you know, seven thirty in the morning. Sun's coming through. I have to know what happened. Yeah, that race did have a lot of what the damn hell moments. It was good. Ah, there was some fabulous moments in that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. But Phil, start by telling us a little bit about the history of Albert Park and why it got updated. Well, first of all, I'm glad you asked that, and I'm also glad that you gave me just a wee bit of heads up on that one. Because it's not like I've been asking you this question every single time. Well, true, but I always forget about it until five minutes before we record, and then I have to try to remember anything about it. No, I mean, this is a great track, and the drivers generally have always loved the track. It's been on the Formula One circuit since 96 in its current formation. But what I didn't realize, it was actually a part of the late 50s Grand Prix circuit. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Sterling Moss and Jack Brabham duked it out on the streets of Melbourne, albeit slightly different track layout. I think actually a reversal of direction as well. And so historically, when they came back in 96 from Adelaide and moved to Melbourne, it was a bit of history coming back to Australian Grand Prix here. All right, Professor, a little bit of trivia for you. Okay. There is only one series in which Australia was run back-to-back races and they were won by the same person. When was it and who was it? Wow. Okay. No idea. I'd like to put a guess for it. So there's one racing series where Australia ran back-to-back races? No, no, the Formula One ran an Australian Grand Prix back-to-back one year, and the same races won them both times. That would probably be Michael Schumacher, and it would be 96. Yeah, it would be the year that Australia switched from the closing race to the opening race. Yeah, that's right. It went from Adelaide to Melbourne, but it was Hill, not Schumacher, that won both those races. That would make sense. 96 was his year. Anyways, tell us more about Albert Park. Is it built to do a park? It is actually a recreational park, sort of a public facility and everything like that. It has a cricket pitch. The track bends around a cricket pitch. You can see the six line. Because racing fans doesn't make us pretentious enough. We actually get to sit on the grounds. (laughs) Might as well add that on. It's around a lake, obviously, and that's also really what makes it kind of unique that way. And it's a great circuit. I mean, there's a lot of high-speed straights now, especially with the changes that they made. So basically, your question was, why did they upgrade it? It needed to be resurfaced, first and foremost. The track had been around, hadn't really been resurfaced since 96 properly. So it needed to be resurfaced. And in the process of doing that, they decided to do some upgrades to try to increase the action a little bit. Because the last couple of years has been a little bit professional. I'd say last couple of years, pre-COVID, that is. Decades. Decades, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was occasionally that it's been known to be a processional race. And so they were trying to do things to sort of increase the passing zones and things like that. They took out a chicane to increase one of the back straight. They took out corners, I think, 9 and 10. Yeah, 9 and 10 just became a bit of a bend, really. Yeah, this made it a bend, which makes it a nice long straight down to what is now corner nine. And that originally on the weekend had a fourth theorist. And halfway through the weekend, obviously, FIA did its thing and decided that they were getting rid of that DRS on, which I think was a little bit of a shame, if only because all the teams had been planning their strategies around it. So, But it still made for good racing. They also tightened up what is now corner 11, which was corner 13. It made that a little bit more of a sharper turn and sort of increased it. a lot of the surface spaces to allow for different angles to be taken by the cars as they were racing and hopefully create some passing opportunities. And they changed the cameras. So those are the major changes that they made to the circuit. I think it produced a fun race, for sure. Whether it would have produced that in the old cars, I don't know. But certainly with the new cars and the new regulations and formula that we've got, I think it made for some interesting strategies. I I was actually overjoyed when I saw, I think it was right before FP3, the DFIA said, okay, you know, DRS zone number four is coming out. There's too much DRS advantage here with the track. 
I appreciate the fact that they're looking at things and tweaking them as they go to say, let's have the best race we can have and the safest race and the race that's not as artificial as possible. So let's stop for a second and do what we do, right? Because a lot of our fans are fairly new race fans. Make fun of Phil. Yeah, well, there's that too, right? DRS, Gareth, like what the heck is DRS and why does that matter? It's the drag reduction system. It's where a flap in the wings on the cars folds down at certain points in time that lessens the drag that is on the cars on the straightaways where you want the least amount of drag so you can go as fast as possible. It's worth any on the track and zone, you know, 15, 20 kilometers an hour relative to somebody who doesn't have DRS. And the basics of it are there's a line that when you cross that line, if you're within a second of the car in front of you, you get to activate DRS in the next activation zone. So when we say there are four DRS zones, what we really mean were there were four DRS activation zones. And as Albert Park was set up, the zones actually had what's called a detection point for zone one and zone two. So, hey, you get your DRS in zone one, you pass the car in front, well, you get DRS in zone two, that's a couple quarters away as well. So you can maybe pull out an advantage over somebody who doesn't have it. And that was the same with zones three and four of the DRS. And what they basically did is said, well, zone three seems to just be giving everybody too much of an advantage. We'll pull it out. And it was on the, where corners nine and 10 used to be. So they brought it back and we saw some close racing and some good overtakes, both with DRS and without DRS at this race. Yeah. So tell us more about the technical drive on this track before we even get into the race, right? Like what were some of the technical guides? We heard stuff about new floors and updated brakes and how the hell do you succeed technically at Albert Park? Good question. It was new surface. So. One of the technical things was tires. We always love to talk about tires and Pirelli had actually brought their softest possible compound and then left a gap and brought two harder compounds, which was, I think the first time they'd ever not brought compounds in sequence. So everybody's trying to figure out how that works. There were a few new bits on the cars, not as many as you would think simply because the teams are being really strategic this year in the cost cap era. And this is very interesting. We've seen Andreas Seidel, McLaren, and a few other team principals say this. The opportunity cost of just trying to throw stuff at a wall, see what sticks and what might give us a 10 is way too high because then we won't have that money to develop something that's going to be really, really meaningful for a car down the road. And if you're some of the other teams, you don't have the money because you're having your drivers hit the walls anymore. Well, we did see that, Phil. There was a lot of crashes. And one of the interesting technical bits is folks were running out of parts. We saw this <laughs> with Mick Schumacher's crash in Saudi Arabia. And because it's been a Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Australia leg, it's very much a kind of the stuff is going from Bahrain to Saudi Arabia to Australia on planes. And it's been hard to get new components from their bases, which are in Italy, Switzerland, or the UK. So I think Haas basically only had two chassis for this race. They wouldn't have a spare car if they needed to build one. I want to say there's more Aston Martin bits on the track than there are bits on cars by now. <laughs> Same with Williams bits. So all that to say, there hasn't been a huge amount of new bits. There has been some stuff. People are still playing with their rear wings to see how much drag they can get or downforce relative to the needs that they have about porpoising, which is the up and down stuff from the floors with the new aero kits. So it's all over the place. And what we're actually expecting is at Imola with two weeks time, everybody's going to bring their first big set of upgrades if they have them. Because they're back in Europe, they can put them on a truck, they've got a bit more time, and they can take what they learned the first three races and go. Interesting technical thing from Mercedes, who, as you may know, were not as fast as they want to be. They've been running, apparently, extra equipment on Hamilton's car. 
you might've seen an amber light from the floor section, basically pointing down at the track, like some sort of sensor. They've been running extra equipment on their cars, making the cars heavier, trying to understand how their cars are working so that they can develop the car in new bits potentially to make them actually work as they're supposed to. Huh. So there's no technical regulation against putting extra sensors on your car? I'm sure there is, but if you do it within the regulation, you're allowed to. They're doing it within the regulations. Although I think maybe this is a great excuse for saying, well, that's why our cars are a little bit heavier. Lewis actually did say that. Like he said, my car's a little bit heavier than George. I've got a lot of extra sensors and stuff because we're trying to figure out what's going on. I didn't actually realize that. That's a weird thing. It's funny that you just gave me the greatest idea when you were talking about Aspen Martin, right? Lego likes to make games like Lego Batman and Lego Star Wars. I really think Lego should make a Lego F1 game. I would buy that. That would be amazing. Is, is that where the Aston Martin pieces fall apart and get pulled off? Yeah, but then you could like have the marshals like sweep them up for you and then remake a new car from it. So, oh, okay, great idea. Be amazing and a really <laughs> slow like, safety car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be all right. You know, design your own. I think it'd be pretty cool. Anyways, so if Lego <laughs> wants to sponsor us, we're at Flippin' F One on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure like there's more Aston Martin dust than there's sand near Albert Park right now. That's just absolutely nuts. Those cars got disintegrated. It's good times. But yeah, Spence, tell us about getting drunk in Melbourne. Give us the F1 fans guide to drinking down under while watching F1. Well, it seems like the people who were at Albert Park over the weekend definitely were drinking at the race. It seemed like a really wild time. I don't know if you guys, maybe this is what you did catch, but like kind of the pre-race buildup. At F1 put online showed a bunch of people just having an absolute blast. The drivers, parades, and everything. A ton of people there to watch it. Looking at kind of the general admission areas of the track, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen this many people at an F1 race. Like, what did they have over the weekend? Like four hundred thousand plus, thirty-one thousand, almost half a mil. It was wild. Over the course of the weekend, apparently, it was Australia's best attended multi-day sporting event ever. That is absolutely insane. It speaks to the kind of the, the growing popularity of, of F1. But I mean, look, of all the races that we've been to actually for quite a while with F1, like that is one that I would absolutely love to go to. It seems like an absolutely wild time. In addition to the F1, like the Ted's notebook, he was going around in the general mission areas and everybody's just so happy to be there having such a great time. And if you do watch some of the sky coverage, Ted Kravitz actually He's just in a fan zone somewhere, and he basically handed a shoe full of Heineken. Ted did a shoey. Ted did a shoey. He said it would taste like beer, but it was a bit gritty. Speaking of shoeys, apparently you could buy like a shoey wine decanter for $700. Yeah. Hey, man. Make your money stack. <laughs> Good on you, Danny. Yeah, no, I would go to Australia in a second to watch that race. That seems like so much fun. But it does bow well for the Flippin' F1 team being in Montreal. You know, if that's how it goes, then it's going to be a party. So... I have my flight booked out of Montreal now, so I'm committed. All right, well, let's get to everybody's favorite game. Eric, play the clip. Box, box, box. Bingo! Yep, it's box, 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 bingo. This week, we've got a few different boxes. As always, we make incredibly, incredibly uninformed predictions as the weekend goes on, filling up any eight of nine boxes. The middle box is always something fun. This week, the box in the middle is Shut Up, Lewis. Meaning if Lewis crashed out, then everybody gets a point. But that didn't happen, so nobody gets the middle. I thought we got the middle if Lewis whined on the radio. 
No, 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 no. That is too just easy to too give. easy. Like, that's just a gimme. We know Come that's going to happen. Mind you, that you know? actually was the foundation of the game because I believe we had Mazepin in it all last season. We did. We did. And for our listener following along at home, we, we have a little bingo card. It's a three by three card with many different boxes in which we put dumb answers. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into the first box. Quali grid predicted top five and Spence with the salty language. <laughs> Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I don't remember why I was so riled up, but clearly I had something to say to Gareth because I believe I asked him to go fuck himself at his bourbon, which is probably not fair. You know, the bourbon did nothing, right? So you had what? Leclerc, Sainz, Verstappen, Perez, and Allo. Which was like a pretty good set of guesses with the exception of Perez and Allo so, and Sainz. There's a bit of a yard sale this week, guys. I mean, who saw Carlos down at night? And Alo putting it in the wall. He's like, hey, I will say though, his lap was something else before he binned it. Oh, gosh. Like he had gone purple in sector two. Like he was on a liar. Oh, that, that same, same thing with that Alonso lap. Like Fredo had it dialed in. I was about to start screaming if he finished that lap. And then all of a sudden I looked over and was like, well, that's that. <laughs> but you had to feel for signs. I mean, literally yeah. a meter or two from the finish line. And the lights go red. I mean, it's <laughs> worst timing in the world. True. Yeah, that's racing, man. That's racing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that is racing. Absolutely. All right. Well, three out of five gets you nothing. Gilbert, <laughs> how did you do? I mean, I'm pretty much the same. I, I did have Leclerc and Verstappen, but then I had Sainz and Perez and Ocon. So, so two out of five. I, I got two out of five in the right order. I got three out of five in the top five. Yeah. You know? Which is awesome. So you also get nothing. Yeah, I know. Gareth, you can end up taking the points anyway, so Doug's through it. No, he doesn't. He had signs on pole, and that was wrong. I am pulling for <laughs> Carlos Sainz to have a pole. I'm going to predict that for every race this year. As a reminder, the top five on the grid were Leclerc, Verstappen, Perez, Norris, and Hamilton. And I got three out of five because I also figured that Sainz would get a pole and Alonso would be there in fifth because he was on form, and we know that didn't happen. Over to you, Randy. Yeah, you know, I had Leclerc and Verstappen on top like everybody else, but I honestly thought Fredo was going to pull it out and that Bonas was going to show up again. And those things didn't happen. So, yeah, I got... Uh, you got nothing. I got a wicked two out of five for absolutely nothing. So nobody gets that box, which is awesome. So, Randy, are you giving up on your guy? I thought Hamilton was permanently in your top I five. I did not think that that car was going to get into the top five this weekend, honestly. I trust Hamilton to get the most out of the car he's in. But if that thing porpoised at Albert Park like it did everywhere else so far this season, those two Mercs I expected to be nowhere near that top five. And they ended up, what, five, six on the grid in the end? Which, yeah. you know, it was a nice surprise. But That car looked a lot better this weekend, I thought. Like, between... Both Lewis's race and George's race, it looked like a much more competitive car. And I think definitely a step closer to the teams in front than it had been. And at least in Saudi Arabia was my take on that. It'll be interesting to see what they were able to bring in. Yeah, I think I've read a few analysis that said it was closer to the Red Bull than the Red Bull was to the Ferrari. So this could get interesting real quick. I don't know if they start taking sensors off the car and do different things with the floor and the wings, but yeah, who knows, right? I don't know. I didn't think he had it this weekend. I thought Bottas would line it up again like he has the last couple of weekends and show something. But that alpha spelt with an F was just not there. <laughs> like it, it was a fun quality though. I kind of enjoyed it. It was a long quality. It was a long quality. It was a long quality. I'm glad I slept through that one. 
<laughs> yeah, I gotta be honest, I didn't make it. Like once the red flag came out for Fredo there in Q3, I just didn't make it. I fell asleep on my couch. It was a two red flag qualifying, yeah. I just do wired. I like two hours before just gotten back in from driving back to Ottawa from Toronto. So I was all wired from the drive. So I stayed up and just barely at that point made it through the Q3 shootout, but got through it, stayed awake. For the record, is the most wired and excited anybody's ever been after driving a Volkswagen Jetta. Hey, whatever. <laughs> she gets me there and back. She makes me happy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's almost an antique now, gal. Yeah. One day, man. One day I'll get a real car. <laughs> Let's go to box four, bottom five qualifiers. So how did this land, Gareth? Well, interesting. I saw that you wrote qualifiers in here. And, and some days, I feel like you're playing lawyer with the boxes. Some days it's bottom five grid and some days it's bottom five qualifiers. We're just so, trying to compete with you, Gareth. That's all. Well, that's a, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so bottom five qualifiers means as it shook out, it qualified. So the bottom five in qualifying were Albon, Ameg, Vettel, Latifi, and Stroll. That's how qualifying shook out. Of course, with Formula One, just because you qualify somewhere, doesn't mean you get to start the race there. So there were a couple of penalties that had to get handed out, including Albon's penalty from running to Lance Stroll at the last race. And then Lance Stroll's penalty for running into Nicholas Latifi in qualifying. So the grid ended up being K-Meg, Vettel, Latifi, Stroll, and Albon. But our bottom five qualifiers were Albon, K-Meg, Vettel, Latifi, Stroll. I don't think any of us saw Haas, or at least K-Meg's Haas being as bad as he was. Well, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Wait, just before we jump into this, I mean, grid and quality, it was still the same bottom five. No, it wasn't. Yeah, but then the different order, man. They're in a different order, but it's the same driver. Same people, just a different order. Yeah, but it's K-Mag, Albin, Vettel, Latifi, and Stroll. Oh, you're both, right. In both of those, it's just a different order. Just, it's just a different <laughs> order. Who knew? All right. So let's see how we did then. Phil, get us started. Oh, I mean, I did my usual pretty badly. I mean, I did have some of the same players <laughs> in the bottom five. I had Stroll, Albon, Vettel, and Latifi in my bottom five. But yeah, I also had Mick Schumacher. I knew Haas wasn't going to do well. I'm banking on the fact that it was at Australia, man, as Gareth said, they had enough parts to have two cars. I think they had rules. Don't <laughs> damage the car. Please bring it back in one piece. We don't have enough parts to replace it. We um, don't have enough duct tape to put this thing back together for the next race. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Gasly's car at Jetta. Sorry, that's right. They were using packing tape so you can still see the logos. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have there to start go. scavenging Aston Martin parts from the side of the track to tape along the car. I think we all thought that Mick Schumacher was going to be in the bottom five. And it turns out he actually out-qualified Kevin Magnussen this weekend. We did. K-Mag was sick or something, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he got to the track late on Friday, basically. Yeah. Didn't Haas have some, like, rescue mission that got their cars to the track in time this weekend? No, we have no idea which teams were affected. But DHL came to the rescue and unloaded a couple of cargo containers in Singapore and flew them from there to Melbourne in time for the teams to have their setup in the pits. Yeah, their, their pit setup. The logistics of Formula One are fascinating because I'm a nerd, I care about this. A lot of the freight that you would see that's like a pit setup, the pit wall, the inside of the garage, some of the back end stuff actually goes on ships and will go from, in this case, probably the UK to race number three, because there's already stuff that gone from the UK to Bahrain and the UK to Saudi. And that stuff in Saudi might be going back to the UK, maybe Bahrain's on its way to Italy. 
So there were a couple of things that were delayed on their way to Australia that had to get offloaded in the air freight. This is part of the global pandemic logistics crunch, effectively. Yeah, as you said, you're a massive nerd, so am I. The teams have an average of six setups. Six. That is crazy. And they were talking about this a few years ago. They were running it closer to three. So about five years ago, we had three setups that they'd rotate. But you look at our schedule and how geographically dispersed it is, and this will come up later about Australia. Like you actually need six different setups. Apparently the costs of shipping the freight, which the teams have to pay, are going up and impacting the budget cap as well. And if you follow MotoGP, I don't, but I see the articles. They actually had to delay the start of a MotoGP round in Argentina a week because freight was stuck in Nairobi or something. So impacts on motorsports and our global schedule. But our bottom five qualifiers, none of us got it completely right. Three of us got four out of five and one of us got three out of five. Yeah, yeah. I award us no points. We are the weakest link. Goodbye. Oh, no, no, no. I would say the people who got four out of five get a point and the person who got three out of five doesn't. Yeah, no. I'm going to say no. (laughs) Just a question for you, Gareth. Who's SCH? I don't like the MSC moniker for Mick Schumacher because I confuse it with Michael. And I think it was bad pandering because it's not like Ralph Jr.'s racing as well, which is why we have MSC because once upon a time, Michael's younger brother, Ralph, was racing in F1 as well. And they had to do MSC and RSC. Because he was SCH before that, was he not? SCG? I believe he was MSC from the get-go. What a crotchety old man you are tonight, Gareth. My yeah. God. Either way, I like the honoring of his father and having the MSC link there. So stop being such a grumpy old man. That's my answer <laughs> to that one. <laughs> MSC came a couple races in. I remember this being a story of like how honored he was that F1 actually gave him that opportunity, but it was a couple races in. It wasn't the first one. It's also the way that when we do the podcast, I don't do what Phil did about you know five minutes ago, which was say Michael Schumacher instead of Mick Schumacher, because it says MSC on our little bingo card. Hey, I still wish Michael Schumacher was racing in Formula One. All right. I won't hide it. Yeah. Mm. Stay strong, Michael. All right. Let's get a box six, the swear jar. So this week we decided to see who unleashes a blue streak first during the race. And I'll start because I swear I thought it was going to be our own Andrew Spencer. So I'm not sure if that happened or not. Oh, look, I don't need to go back to the text. I'm quite <laughs> sure that happens. You know, I'm willing to give you the point for that. I didn't know we could use our commentators. <laughs> and look, if it wasn't committed to text, Randy, absolutely it happened in the room. So, you know, yeah, no Yeah, no, I mean, I called Latifi to be fair, but I thought it would be really funny that you would be the one swearing first, man. So I had Verstappen and he may have been the guy. I don't know if there was another, I'm trying to think about who would have DNF before him, but he was obviously not very happy when his engine packed up on him. He's the first one that I heard on the radio. I don't don't know if there was somebody before that, but he was the first one that actually got put on the radio. So I agree. And I had Verstappen as well. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I picked K-Meg only because he swears a lot, but I think the TV directors played us Verstappen swearing. So you guys each get half a point. Hey, half is half. That's fair. I honestly, I don't actually think I've heard Latifi swear for the number of times he's been in the wall. But he's a good Canadian boy. He'll say sorry first. Yeah, I think he's actually too good natured <laughs> and polite. Which, of course, is why he's Andrew Spencer's favorite F1 driver. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I don't know where that one came from, but yeah, we're going to write that one until it's dead. You got the personal license plate, NL6. There you go. NL6. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. You're going to regret that. All right, let's talk race. Top five finishes in this race. Leclerc wins another one. Takes a solid lead in the drivers. Hey, did anybody have George in second and Verstappen in fifth at any point in the season on their bingo card? Because 
holy crap, did that happen this weekend? No. Look, I mean, like George has been driving really consistently, right? I mean, he's gotten just about everything he can get out of that car, maybe first race aside. So far this year, he's been very consistent and he's been a good addition to the team for Mercedes. It's just unfortunate the car is not there for him to really fight a little further up the field. No, I hear you. So we had Leclerc, Perez, and Russell on the podium with Hamilton bringing in fourth and Norris and then McLaren in fifth, which is exciting to see. Spence, how'd you do? So I did not do so hot on this one. I had Leclerc winning the race and I had Perez on the podium, although I had him in third. I had Verstappen, Hamilton, and Science kind of rounding out my top five. And we know that Verstappen and, and Science never finished, so... It's a bit of a tough scene. I had uh, three of the five. That's fair. Stackhouse? I won. I get the point. <laughs> of course you did. I had four of the top five finishers, Perez, Leclerc, Verstappen, Norris, and Russell. Obviously, a little bit out of order there, but Perez and Leclerc are both on the podium. Verstappen didn't finish, and then I was the only one who called both Norris and Russell to be in the top five. Yeah, I'm sorry to inform you, but to quote one of my favorite people in the world, close only counts, and the worst use hand grenades and shit fights, so... <laughs> it's Dan Smith, baby. Shout out to Dan. I don't think I need to ask what a shit fight is, but it doesn't sound like anything I need to be a part of. But I'm just going to point out that Gareth likes to play games and doesn't know facts very well because he can't do math. I had Leclerc, Verstappen, Norris, Hamilton, and Perez, which means I also had four out of the top five on my list. So you don't claim the whole box to yourself. Okay, we'll split the point for that. That's fine. All right, that's fine. I think, though, like if every other box, I get three out of five. I'm just taking three points for the hell of it. It three seems points, to be minus eh? three. <laughs> bottom five finishers, how do we do? So the bottom five classified finishers were, from the bottom, Alonzo, Latifi, Sonoda, Magnuson, Schumacher. And that would be 17th through 13th place. Right. Classified finishers. That's right. That's how we're doing it this year. I'll start off and say I definitely lost this one. I had one out of those classified finishes in the bottom five, and that was Sonoda. Oh, no, I had two. I had Latifi in there, too. I had three. I had Magnuson, Latifi, and who, sorry, who did we say it was again? I thought I had three. Bottom who, who five bottom classified five? finishers. Alonzo, Latifi, Sonoda, Magnuson, Schumacher. Okay, never mind. Never mind. I bottled that one, guys. Yeah, my three streaks alive and well. I mean, I also had Albin, who had a hell of a race. Holy tease. You want to talk William's strategy for a second? They rode that out to the wire. I mean, I, oh. whoever was running that strategy was literally running every strategy in the book to get to that point. It was beautiful. It was fantastic. I mean, it's memorable of Michael Schumacher pitting on the last lap to change a tire just to get a win there as well. They, but they couldn't do what Schumacher did because of the rule that came in after that. You can't pit on the last lap and then cross the start-finish line in the pits. Exactly. Exactly. They changed that. So we were just watching the countdown and knowing, like, he's got to pit, otherwise you're basically disqualified. And he could do the quick math and say, oh, he's probably going to come back with new softs in, like, maybe 10th, 11th, 12th. Maybe he can pass a couple cars. But, I mean... To be honest, you look at the times he was lapping, it's unreal. In a Williams, to do what is essentially qualifying laps. On 50, however many lap old tires, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when he said after the race, he said, for whatever reason, those hards really work for us. The Williams the C2s, likes yeah. those tires, and I don't think he really understands why, but it seems like that's what that car likes. I think he said, like, just give us nine <laughs> sets of primes and we'll kind of call it, right? I mean, I think you don't need to know why. Like, every car has that. And I think two years ago, when we watched the Mercs, 
they could not be beaten on the mediums, but if you put them on softs, you couldn't control the car. Yeah. I think every car just has that every once in a while and they figured it out. So that's, it'd be interesting to see if they play that strategy out a couple of times this year, right? I don't know where else it would work, but. Well, I mean, it's all about timing and, and how far around the laps they are and where they're sitting. It's all about what's the gap to the people behind, right? And that strategy worked because there were two yellow flag periods, which take less life under your tires because you drive slower. And it was also going to work because Stroll was behind Albin and Albin may have come back on the track behind Stroll, but Stroll had a five second penalty assessed against him. So he had some buffers in there. I think it's very fact specific to what happened, but I can see them doing it again. Alex Albon seems to be great with tire preservation. Yeah. So let's look at the crystal ball though, right? Like what if by some wink of the gods, Albon finds himself qualifying fifth and they run that strategy? Like how does that end up playing out? I don't think they'd run that strategy if they were fighting for the front of the race. I think that's a strategy where we've got to get on the board. We need points. We've got a way of doing it. And I mean, Kudos to that strategist, because most strategists would not have run it to, oh, let's see what happens if we pit him two laps or one lap from the end and see what the results can be. Nobody is programmed to think that far down the line, right? No. Well, it was evolving because he got track position because of the safety cars and many people in front of him pitting under safety cars. Imagine the sim work that's going to happen now. I could see Monaco. Oh, Monaco. But that's not a track that I think he's going to do that on. I don't think so. You can't run the herds there. You don't think you can't run the herd? No. They won't warm up enough. I don't think so. Maybe they're going to run soft and mediums there. I would think C5, C4, I, I would have thought most of the weekend there. You're thinking they're going to go for the softest tires. Yeah, they didn't run herds in Monaco last time. I can't recall. But it would be another track where it's a little bit harder to pass and track position makes a lot of sense. Like, is Hungary one of those tracks? Yeah. Actually, Hungary is a track where they possibly would do this again. It's another kind of fast track, but it's processional. Very processional and it's hard to pass, but you can maintain a decent speed. In. See, Esteban Ocon's win last year. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. We go over to box five, fastest pit stop. Results for the weekend say Red Bull Racing's Perez at 2.27 and McLaren. Had consistency. Considence? No, consistency. Listen, I've had a few <laughs> drinks. I can't type. All right. Wow. That's uh that was unfortunate. Who put that there? That was totally me. McLaren had consistency. Consistency. I forgot the why. Both their pit stops at 2.42. Identical timing for both Lars and Ricardo. But yeah, Perez had the fastest one at 2.27. So none of us win that one. Just for the record, Phil, you forgot a lot more than just the why in that <laughs> word there. I think there's a couple letters. Nobody else that. knows it but us, Spence. Just go with it, all right? <laughs> Jesus. So, I mean, all of this is to say that none of us got this right. No points. No, no points. No Edward, points on no that points. one. All right, let's go to box seven. Principal Freakout, a.k.a. Who Out Karen's Christian Horner. Why do you get us started, Gareth? I figured Mike Crack, he's the uh, team principal at Aston Martin Racing, would lose it over Aston's complete shit weekend. And I made this prediction, by the way, because we have to before the lights go out for the start of the race. And it was a shit weekend for Aston. Let me just see. There was a red flag brought out by Sebastian Vettel and Aston Martin during free practice three. Seb put it off the track in the wall. He cleaned three corners off the car. In FP2, some bits fell off of Lance's car. And there was a red flag as well. But then Lance caused 
Another red flag in FP3, the same one that Vettel caused the red flag in, when he put it off the track into the wall, and I think he cleaned one corner off the car. All that to say, between FP3, which would have been Saturday morning, and qualifying, which would have been Saturday afternoon, the Aston Martin mechanics had to heroically rebuild one corner of Lance's car and three quarters of Seb's car, which they were able to do because of the idiot move that Lance made in Q1, where he took out Nicholas Latifi, completely destroyed Latifi's car, cleaned another corner off his own car, and brought out a fourth Aston Martin red flag for the Australian Grand Prix. So I figured my crack would flip out, and that doesn't even count when the race, when Sebastian Vettel put it off the track into a wall, cleaned a couple corners off his Aston Martin during the race. How long do you think before Daddy Stroll invests in a fiberglass company, man? Carbon fiber. Carbon fiber. I think Daddy yeah. Stroll needs to be rethinking his strategy, if you want to ask that one. Spence, you and I were talking about this the other day. There's somebody on YouTube, Aldous, I think, and he has the really interesting idea, like, if you took a driver from a team or a driver lineup from a team and put them in another team, how would they approve that team? And you just look at Lance Stroll, would he improve any other F1 team if he went there? Increase their chances of points. I don't think so. I, I think I think we said maybe Williams. Yeah, but right? he just came, he came from Williams. We, we thought maybe Williams. That would be the only place. But I think Daddy Stroll has to be looking at. Well, I've got one driver who missed two races and then crashed into the wall. I've got another driver who's just cost us all sorts of money, even though he's my kid. If I bring Nico Hulkenberg back, will I do better over the course of the season with Nico Hulkenberg in the car versus Lance Stroll? That is a fair question. I think it's a question he has to ask because points, you know, points being prizes and he's trying to represent the brand because he owns Aston Martin, the actual car company and they're flirting with VW. It depends. If he's in it as a businessman, then yes, he should be asking those questions. Well, Lawrence Stroll is a business person. That's how he made his billions. And I know he's a businessman, but if he's in the sport only because his son If he was in the sport only because his son wanted to drive, he wouldn't have gone and bought the Aston Martin road car brand. He just would have like taken a shareholding in Williams. Yeah, I think that's how it started when he saved Force India from its receivership or whatever. But then I think it's been enough years that he's like, all right, looked after you, kid. I got to run my business now. I got to make money on this. I got to run my business. But if he's thinking that, he has to think about moving a stroll on because, I mean, he's just costing them money right now. He's a Formula One driver. He has had some good moments, but he's not consistently good and he's consistently causing problems. So I think that's what Lawrence has to be thinking of. And I'm actually curious to see if Williams just charged the credit card of his they have on file, the damage to Latifi's car. <laughs> I was, I mean, we have to talk about that. That was a bizarre incident though. I mean, it was kind of the Canadians saying, oh, I'll let you pass. And, and then... Stroll sort of slowing down and then... <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, well, I'll go now. And they collected each other. You look at the onboard of Stroll and you think, what made you pull right at that point? Really? Like, there was no reason to pull right. But he did right into Latifi. No. Yeah, that was all Stroll. And then the stewards looked at it and they said, the stewards find that Stroll was predominantly to blame for the collision because of his lack of situational awareness of Latifi's passing maneuver. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. So did it happen? Did Crack and Capito get into it over another Canadian coming together? No, but that was my prediction. Yeah, I didn't see Mike Crack freak out, unfortunately. He must be a very calm Luxembourg person, but that was my guess. No, that's fair. Spence, you had no one. I said nobody. I mean, these guys are professionals, right? Like to get them 
really revved up and to freak out about something, there's generally got to be something pretty big, right? Certainly we saw from Toto and Christian a million times last year. You can also think about Otmar when he was like a hostage reading a note before the camera, when they brought those new regs in, which hammered Aston Martin so badly, he would have freaked out. But like, generally speaking, these guys don't freak out that much. They're professionals and they get it. So I had no one, I think I take the box. Yeah. Like I said, you might take the box because yeah, I do think you take that. I had a Horner, but I barely saw him on TV this weekend, which was weird too. So yeah, I think you take the box. Yeah. He was very reserved. Like all of the post-race interviews I saw with him, he was pretty reserved because I mean, look, this is the Red Bull cars have finished the race exactly 50% of the time in the first three races this year, right? They've had three finishes and three DNF between the two cars. I mean, that's not good, right? Like it signals a real problem that they have. And and I think he's worried about how are they going to get on top of it? The results over at the Alpha Tower haven't been that much better, right? Like there have been massive reliability concerns with that Red Bull powertrain's engine and they need to be on top of it or else this is going to be a pretty short season. Yeah. How did the White Bulls do this weekend? I can't even remember. Well, that should tell you something right there. Out of the points, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. The Alpha Towers are so both out of the points. That should tell you all you need to know. How did they do? They were somewhere between 5th and 10th. Well, no, Sonoda <laughs> was 15th. And Gasly was ninth. Yeah, Gasly was ninth, so it was 15th. So, yeah, I think Andrew Spencer has realized that answering $1 Bob is a way to win box, 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 bingo. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That that is the $1 bid strategy. Thank you. Let's hope that doesn't continue. Well, it's up to the person (laughs) who makes the questions, Randy. Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. Three predictions. What'd you have, Phil? I thought Mike Schumacher was going to come back and score points. He didn't. But you know what? He raced a good race. And I thought both Aston Martins were going to end up DNFing. Only Vettel did. Unfortunately, Stroll finished. Or fortunately. However you want to play that one. Your prediction, however, I have to say was inspired by a whole lot of luck. Because you were close, Randy. I was close. But I thought he might be okay. But I was actually... It was a wild prediction. I did not think he was going to come anywhere near that podium. But I stick by my guy. Came in fourth. Stick by my guy, but not there. Danny Pips Lando, you had Spence. Hey, look, I mean, I think that was pretty true, right? I mean, Danny was forbidden from passing Lando. <laughs> Except for the fact it's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, there was team orders at play here, right? Which is why Danny didn't actually finish ahead yeah. of Lando on the track. But for those team orders, I mean, Danny was quick this weekend, like quicker than Lando. I think, guys, I think I won the box. No, 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 no. No. You did not win the box. Was Danny ahead of Lando? That's the only question that we need to ask today. And the answer is no. So the answer is no. Phil, Phil, not on the road, but in our hearts. Okay. Oh Oh, my God. Not on the road. What you're claiming here, Andrew, is on an equitable basis, Danny's ahead. (laughs) Yes. Law of equities. That's right. Yes, exactly. You got it. Okay. They're perfect. So, look, I take the box and therefore I take the whole entire bottom row. Don't I think we've got like a point box, scoring Andrew. here on box, box, bingo for the first time. You do not get that box. This what? is one of those Japanese during the pandemic on roller coasters, like, you know, enjoy the box slightly to your heart, but no, you don't actually get it. <laughs> Ridiculous. None of us got that box. I figured that both Canadian pay drivers would DNF, but that didn't happen either. I did hear a funny YouTube comment this week about Lance Stroll trying to reestablish that he is the best Canadian pay driver, taking out Nick Latifi. <laughs> I would pay to see that head-to-head. That would yeah. be fun. Well, and then that's something we talked about Lance Stroll, but that's also Williams and Doralton, Capital, who on the team need to be looking and saying, you know, is Daddy Latifi's cheese money 
worth all the damage that Nick's doing to our car and the lack of points that Nick is scoring. Yes, Albin's only scored one point, but Albin's been able to just walk him. The fair question. Yeah. I mean, I know he's a Ferrari Academy driver, but like, wouldn't they get more money out of Piastri and any sponsorship slash endorsements he brings? Sorry, Piastri's an Alpine driver. Or he's an Alpine Academy, right? Yeah. So they could pick him up technically. They, they would have to do a deal with them and say, okay, yeah, it, it's worth it for us. And who knows, maybe Williams wants to be down the road, powered by a Renault engine instead of a Mercedes engine. Because Alpine no. has kind of always made me looking for somebody else to pick up their engines. I don't think Williams is going to go back that way. Not until there's, I'd say, a few more years have gone by. Mm. Uh, their relationship with Renault is not in the most positive session on the senior team members that are still there. Oh. But I also got to say this. I don't think we're going to see a turnover in drivers mid-season. Not unless there's injuries or illnesses related. I, I can't see these teams, as they're still getting to grips with the formula and everything like that, taking that risk on. You don't see Sam just saying, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to my green organic. Going home. Uh, you know what? I think he'll say he was going to put less and less time in, but I think he'll finish out the year. That's his commitment. He's not going to go to the farm right away. I don't know. Let's see what happens. All right. Well, that's our episode of Box, Box, Box Bingo. If you're interested in playing, check out the card that we will eventually post on at 7F1 on Twitter and the website that we will eventually build. I just not had a free weekend to do it. So that closes this episode of Box, Box, Box Bingo. Let's go over to That's a Netflix Moments. So what was your Netflix moment of the weekend? You know, for me, I think they're going to do an episode called, oh, Canada, <laughs> where like Flix makes like an all Canadian rivalry play, but also makes Canada seem irrelevant to racing, which it of course is not. Well, you know what? I kind of agree with you because mine was Canadians coming together because we always come together and have fun. But you know what? I think they're just colliding together now. So I think we had the same vision on that one. Yeah, mine was similar, but a little different. You know, I think the episode that I'm envisioning is last laps for Latifi, right? I think it'll be more a, a Nick Latifi versus Alex Albin angle. And I think we're going to see them play it as Albin's the real serious driver. He's coming in here first year of the team and he's going to wipe the floor with Nick Latifi and with all the private equity money that team's got now, do they need the cheese and coffee money anymore? And the answer appears to be no. So I wonder if that's not the angle they're going to take. Interesting. I think the no good, very bad, horrible weekend. Alonzo had one. He thought he was going to be on pole. He put it into the wall. He thought he was going to have a brilliant race strategy a la Albon. He finished last. Aston Martin had a horrible weekend. Carlos Sainz had a horrible weekend. This is the start of Carlos Sainz being like, oh yeah, you're the new Valbot. Well, I think definitively, yeah, Ferrari has to make that decision relatively soon, actually. If they've got Leclerc running this far ahead. They need to get behind him and Carlos has to play support. And the team has to, to get that. Whether Carlos is going to want to do that or not, it's a whole different gambit. I don't think he's in that mindset. And it's funny, right? I mean, we're early. It's three races in. Like, it's a 23-race season. Let's think it's swing all the way back at some point if the right chips fall into place. So, Yeah, it's a 23-race season. But, I mean, it, you can lose a season by half a point, right? That's true. So, mm -hmm. every point counts. And if... They're starting to see consistency like they are seeing with, with Ferrari and, and uh, Leclerc. Then Ferrari's got to be thinking, at what point do we put strategies in place? I think Ferrari already have to back Leclerc. One of the interesting stats I heard that I just looked up is if Charles Leclerc was his own Formula One team, 
the team Charles Leclerc would be leading the championship. <laughs> I love it. He himself has scored 71 points. Mercedes as a team who are second, the constructors champion standings have scored 65. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And we discussed this last show, like right now, Sergio's ahead of Max in the championship by five points. If Max's quote unquote luck keeps being bad, is there a time where Red Bull has to pivot and say, okay, we're going to try to back Sergio as our challenger, our horse in the race. I think we're a little ways from that. I mean, like, look, I think they're rational people. And if Checo is 50 points up on max after yeah. round 15 or so, then maybe they do. But I really have to think the only way they would do that is if Checo was actually in a fight for the title. If Checo's just in a fight to finish ahead of max in the mm. standings, then no, they're not going to do that to max. Yeah, Absolutely that's not. Fair. I think that's right. Any penalty props or steward sewers this week? I just want to say, I can't believe that I'm somewhat agreeing with what the stewards are saying. And I feel kind of gross about saying that. <laughs> Do you need a shower, Phil? Yeah, I need to have a shower. I mean, after years of, of arguing with the lack of consistency and the ridiculousness of which they've made rulings and come up with penalties for drivers and teams, I'm kind of impressed with where they are right now. I have to say that. There's nothing I really have disagreed with. I have to agree with Phil for once and to say not only the consistency, but what they're looking at. If you go and look at the FIA official documents, it's Phil and I like to do. You see that they're looking at, okay, incidents behind safety cars, yellow flag incidents, a lot of stuff that people said last year, oh, something's wrong here, but there was no investigation, nothing happening. And then they're actually making in their findings of fact, like their decision documents, they're making constructive comments. I don't know if you guys saw it. I think the second safety car, I think Sonoda almost took out Schumacher behind the safety car. Yeah. Schumacher almost went up to the back end of Sonoda because Sonoda braked and Schumacher was accelerating at the same time. The stewards looked into that after the race, they summoned everybody who was involved. They heard from everybody and they did a very detailed analysis of this is the fact pattern of what happened. Basically, they said the stewards find no driver guilty of breaching the regulation. However, it's clear that the speed and braking capabilities of F1 cars, especially while trying to maintain required temperatures and tires and brakes, are in tension, so opposed to the 10 car length separation behind the safety car traditionally specified in the regulations. This needs to be a point of emphasis in future driver briefings to ensure drivers collectively agree on how best to address this challenge before an unfortunate incident occurs. So the stewards have around for being inconsistent randoms to saying, here's a problem. The people who basically write the rules and tell everybody how to apply the rules, i.e. the driver's briefing, go solve this problem before something bad happens. And they made a sensible decision based on the evidence. They have not embraced judicial activism. And I, for one, am very excited. Kudos to the stewards. That's awesome, stewards. It's good to see you, but you're completely fucking up my segment here. What the hell? Man? It's, it's supposed to be five minutes of us complaining. Not <laughs> all agreeing? Oh, but it happens so rarely. Don't worry, Randy. I mean, you do label a good point, you know, Seb driving back on the scooter, right? There's a safety reason for it. Yeah, so like that was mine, just before you get into it, like, freaking let Seb be Seb. Like, did he really hurt anybody with that scooter stunt? And did he did the fine... Okay. That's like a technical infringement, like Albon getting DQ'd from qualifying because he didn't have a fuel sample. The rule says you cannot be on track 
after the session has stopped because nobody knows what's going on on the track. You've got to clear the track, huge safety issue. And it's one of those, you've got to say, here's the safety issue. You can't do this. Yes, it was cute and the memes were fun, but you can't do this for safety reasons. It's the same as the whole, the race directors talked about like fireproof underwear and like jewelry and piercings, exactly the same thing. That rule has been there for years. And with the piercings and the fireproof underwear, there are legitimate safety reasons for that in terms of making sure you don't get burned and that bits of you don't get smudged or crunched when you're uh, getting extracted from a car, the car is in the wall. It's important safety stuff that the commentators have said, oh, nobody enforced this under Massey. And one of the things that came up was, you know, the junior formula drivers, the F2, the F3 drivers, they take cues from the formula one drivers. And you don't want racing drivers across the world to think, oh, just hop on the scooter, get on the track, zip back to the pits. Is track closed? Who knows? The only people who know are race control. Rant over. Yeah, I guess as responsible adults, it was probably the right thing to find them. <laughs> but man. I mean, Seb's right about like, tell me where the money goes and what you do with the money. That's legit. But yeah, first job is safety. Can we give a prize to the scooter? Because I'm pretty sure it did most number of laps for an Aston Martin driver. <laughs> no, the, it was actually the safety car. The Aston Martin safety oh, was car. The Aston Martin safety car. Okay. <laughs> although, although Lord Stroll was spud in the paddock, putting some badges on a scooter. So who knows? <laughs> it's a new Aston Martin signal. I love it. I love it. And so the silly season begins in earnest. This is kind of a fun, weird thing. Why don't you get us started there, Gift? Oh, we've already talked about this. My silly season or driver, you know, speculation is it's time to dump the Canadian paid drivers that can get points and not wreck cars. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. You had an interesting one, Phil. Well, I mean, like silly season, we often just talk about silly season revolving around drivers, but I think pretty much we can all agree the silly season has started in terms of engine hype for 2026. Yes. With the announcement of Porsche and Audi at least getting the go ahead from the VW group to be able to join, although they haven't quite admitted that they're going to join yet, so the jury's still out whether or not they're going to, but... You gotta love the prospect, though, Phil. Rabbit racing? Well, I love the prospect. This is the closest we've ever gotten. Volkswagen's not going to be one of the brands they bring in. I'm just saying. No, no, Rabbit but we got, racing, this is the closest we've gotten the VW group with their, any of their brands <laughs> mm -hmm. into Formula One since Lamborghini in the 90s. Well, Lamborghini wasn't a VW brand at the time. It was owned by Chrysler, but... Oh, that's right, yeah. it was. Okay, well, fair enough. So, I don't know when the last time we had a VW group. I mean... Porsche has been an F1 engine supplier in the 80s. The tag Porsche turbo yeah. engines that powered McLaren and some other teams. Yeah. So it's been a long time. It's exciting. It's fun to hear where they're ending up, who's partnering with whom, and, and who's going to sell out or not sell out. Lawrence Stroll's pretty hot to trot with them, apparently. But Yas Capito, the team principal, Williams, he ran the VW World Rally teams for quite a while. Yeah. So there's all sorts of fun permutation combinations. Just saying, it rolls off the tongue, the Williams VW. <laughs> it's not going to be a VW. They're only bringing in either Porsche. Well, they're bringing in Porsche and Audi if it's going to end. I know. And, I know. Well, a guy can dream, right? And, no. and pretty much Porsche, I'm pretty sure everybody's saying it's going to Red Bull. If it's going to happen, that's the way it's going to go. Audi was the one that was linked with McLaren, but apparently McLaren turned down something to do with the numbers that was being offered. So... And, and Phil, do you think that Volkswagen Audi Group, they're going to come in and start rebadging the current Red Bull powertrains? Because this is kind of for the 2026 engine regs. No, because I mean, they're changing the regs. 
for 2026 anyway. So there's some of the intellectual property has to be changed. So they're not just going to do a straight rebadge of the Red Bull powertrains or actually just Hondas right now. No, and I don't think they could either, because I think when you think about it, that technically is still Honda technology. Racing development or whatever they are. Exactly. Whatever the name is that they put on it, but mm. it's still Honda technology. They've just basically bought the rights to the use and, to use and, and, yeah. and get it implemented. So I can't see that being the way they go. If it is, well, kudos to Porsche for at least getting some intellectual property out of that, but I can't see that happen. <laughs> Spence, you're an Audi guy. Look, I mean, the last I heard, I think as of today, was that Audi was looking at going it alone. They were thinking that it was going to be their own independent engine project, right? And they might start with kind of what Porsche looked at the last time they considered getting in. I mean, to me, that seems bizarre that you'd have one corporate group have two different engine projects within F1. I, I don't think there's any precedence to that before. The Porsche one, presumably with Red Bull, makes a lot of sense. Having Audi go do it by themselves, I mean, I don't know, like, wouldn't like to see it? Absolutely. Does it make a lot of sense from a resource perspective yeah. for the Volkswagen group? Probably not. But hey, I'm not on the board of supervisors of that company for a reason, so. <laughs> Included, but not limited to avoiding all liability for Dieselgate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, it would be fantastic as somebody, the only one of us, I think, who currently drives an Audi. It'd be great. I'm just putting the prospect out there, fellas. Kimmy comes back to principal the team and all of a sudden it's Iceman Audi. I'm just saying, that'll be all right. <laughs> Kimmy will not principal a team. He's enjoying retirement. No, you know what they're going to do? They're going to revive Minardi and have like a Minardi Seat or something. That'd be fun. So they're taking off Alpha Tauri? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a good for silly season. That was actually my future of the sport thought was in, in our, our next segment. Like I'm excited for these additional engine suppliers to come in and see if they can Shake up the order. Come on, BMW. Want you back. <laughs> I loved that car. <laughs> Couldn't quarter with crap, but I loved that car. The radio was a little quiet, I found, this time around. Philly, you thought it was boring? I just thought it was boring. Uh, and it, it seems to be how they've started or readjusted themselves for the season. There hasn't been a lot of exciting radio, even in the first two races of the season. I didn't feel there was a that tremendous amount of radio conversation or the occasional joke with an engineer on the wall, but that's about it. You know, it's not been an exciting season. I guess certainly not in Australia. That's fair. I didn't hear any broadcast moments that really jumped out of me. Spence and I both flagged one. I'll, I'll let Spence chat about it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the race, Fred comes out of the pits on his medium tires after starting the race in the hearts. He's got to get through a bunch of people to get back into the points. And to everyone's surprise, can't do it, right? He's kind of stuck. I don't remember who he was stuck behind. Maybe it was... Uh, oh, it was the Stroll Gasly. I think maybe yeah. Valbot was in there too. There was like three yeah. or four people he was stuck behind in a train. And he gets on the blower and he says to his engineer on the wall, like, who's driving the Alpha Tauri up there? And he's like, I think that's Gasly. And he just starts laughing as if to say, like, you put me in that car, I would have got by our Canadian driver stroll a long time ago. Like, what's he doing kind of thing? It was pretty funny. It was hilarious. I, was, I don't get it. Why he not overtake? It's like pure <laughs> Fernando, like snobbishness. <laughs> that, that was the best moment. I've got something related to radio because it was broadcast, it was audio. The Monegas National Anthem, it seems to go on for a bit and we're going to hear it a lot this year. It's a lengthy yeah. one, guys. It is. Yeah. And uh, fun facts. 
about the Monegasque National Anthem, as I'm sure you want to know. It's done as an instrumental. The words are rarely sung. The only official words for it are actually in the Monegasque language. That is a fun fact. Yes. So if you don't see Charles Leclerc singing along, it's because it's rarely sung. Although he was muttering along. Hopefully in Monegasque. Well, no idea. (laughs) Don't speak the language. Couldn't try to interpret lips if I tried. It's kind of French-ish, I would imagine Monegasque is. It's related to Genoese. There's a bunch of languages that are related to both French and Italian and some other Romance languages kind of along the Mediterranean there. That's interesting. Never would have called that. Let's wrap it up with a little bit of Winger Wow, the impressions of the weekend. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So the takeaway for my driver, it's got to be for Seb. He's got to retire, right? I mean, Aston Martin is so bad this year. I really don't see him going back for another kick at the can at this next year, unless they rapidly get up the development curve and give him something that he can drive. There's absolutely no way in hell that he's going to do anything other than retire to his farm at the end of the 2021 season. I'm very confident in that. In terms of my venue impression, like I thought Albert Park was okay. He was uh, certainly better than the race that I watched from there in the past. Overtaking seemed a little easier, even though they ended up getting rid of one of the DRS zones. Am I going to go back and watch it again over the winter? Probably not. But if this is as bad as the racing gets this year, then I think we're going to be in for a pretty good luck. In terms of my future of the sport thought, Red Bull, they're going to get a handle on the reliability or else it's going to be a pretty short season. And championship race is going to be effectively over by the summer break. So hope they get a handle on their fuel systems or engine issues or whatever it is that's going on over there. And Max can finish a few races. In terms of what I'm looking for next race, two things. I'm hoping Phil breaks out the hula skirt. Imola was awesome in the rain last year. And hey, after a couple of races in the desert and down under, we could use a little bit of water here, Phil. So I don't know where I've put it. <laughs> you want to start shaking those hips a little bit? We'd be okay. I mean, that would make for a good weekend. Now, I've heard you say this, but it's just to be clear. I've heard you say that. So if it downpours, I don't want to hear any complaints come out of you. <laughs> you, you will not. Like that track is a lot of fun in the rain. Look, it made for some great racing last year. I hope we get a repeat of it. Yeah, yeah. Let's start uh, crowdfunding to get Phil a new hula skirt. I'm all over that, man. Phil, nobody will ever complain about your hips and curves and hula skirt. Well, thank you, Gareth. I appreciate it so much. Will Charles feel the pressure? That's a good question. Yeah, I think it's a very good question. Charles, so far this year, yeah. has been great, right? He's also won races in places where it means a lot to the people who are at the race. And there are lots of Ferrari fans there, like there are everywhere, but there's a big difference when you're a Ferrari driver and you're racing at like one of the spiritual homes of Ferrari, right? So I think that it'll be a lot harder for him with all the added pressure, being a home race for the team, et cetera. How will he do under that microscope? I'm really interested to see. Yeah, right on. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, that's fair. Good points. Uh, for me, the track, I do have to say, I like the changes. I think they made vast improvements on the sport. Is it perfect? I don't think there is a perfect track out there. We always seem to have this front end group that pulls away and the middle group that seems to be hanging on uh, with your life and congregated together, which was good to see and some good passes in there this time. I would like to have seen what the fourth DRS zone would have looked like in the race. I think that might have been an interesting set of circumstances to to have. So hoping my impression ideally would be, let's bring that back for next year and see what happens. 
in terms of where we go from here this year, hey, I'm jumping all in the Ferrari bandwagon. I'm a Ferrari fan. I have been for years and I'm all the way with Leclerc. So I got to find myself a Ferrari hat again. And then in terms of the future of the sport, I think we've talked about it already. It's exciting to hear the news about future engine units coming up. But for this year, I think it's just going to be great to see how everything develops. Because once we start getting to Europe, that's where we start seeing some action happen. Probably not till Barcelona. Emil is not going to probably see a lot of upgrades, but I think the teams will bring stuff to Barcelona, which is after that. We'll have some fun, fun situations to see what's changed. Yeah. The middle box for San Marino is called Professor's Choice. So give us a little taste. What are you thinking the rule's going to be, man? It's not the San Marino Grand Prix, Randy. It's not. It's Imola. Emilia Romagna. Romagna. Ah, uh, yes. I actually, you know what? I'm keeping that kind of quiet as to what that middle box is going to be. You know, I've got some good ideas and we'll all know by Wednesday before the race. Don't worry. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Gareth, when your wins? Yeah, a beautiful all aboard the hype train t-shirt for Phil from the good <laughs> folks in WTF1. Yeah, Bring it on. I think we need to get one. <laughs> so my driver impression, Leclerc has put down his marker. Like he's been, I'm going to call it serenely and supremely dominant in this race, both as against his teammate and everybody else. He's got a massive gap in the championship. I want to say it's like 30 something points. Yeah, it's almost 40 points. It's like 34 points. This may be his statement, like, I'm here for a championship. And I think it's kind of beautiful just to see somebody else who's not Max or Lewis. Remember how last year we were like, it's great to see somebody who's not Lewis winning. It's great to see somebody who's not Max or Lewis winning. Yeah. I'm sure next year might be, well, great to see somebody who's not Leclerc or Verstappen or whatever. So that's what my driver thought. The venue thought, we, we talked about this already, like everybody was so bloody happy to be there. And apparently like Melbourne had been through some very severe COVID lockdowns, you know, what up to any of our listeners who are in China under lockdown right now. I know some folks over there and it's very severe as well right now. So it's no fun. And everybody was just so happy to be out and about and just, this is frivolous. Like Formula One is frivolous, but it's entertainment and we love it for that reason. It's history. It's beautiful. It's intense. It's competition. It's live sport. And it was great to just be able to embrace that and see people embracing that this past weekend. There was also some great support races. Aussie V8 supercars, there's rep code supercars were racing on the track as well. I think Alonzo got time in one and uh, somebody else did as well, but there were NASCARs ought to be V8 powered sequentially shifted cars that turn left and right. So they were on track and V8 supercar racing, fantastic if you've got access to it. Future of the sport, we talked about this. My comment is mm, Audi. So the Audi sport teams, because that's what Audi's racing efforts are called, Audi sport. They have dominated series that they've come into throughout the years, be it the Quattro in rally championship in the 80s, the pure domination through the Le Mans LMP1 program, basically through the mid 2000s. They just come in and they dominate and they just outwork everybody. So as somebody who pays Audi some money every month, I'm excited to see it. And then for our next race, the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, I think Phil touched on this. I can't wait to see who's brought what upgrade to their cars and how it's going to change the field. Because we get to see right now, new formula at the start of the season, like the field is shifting every race. And I think we're going to see some more shifts. So that's always fun to rock up and see who's fast and who's not. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, my team impression, I'm going to make the pun again based on the old song, Return of the Mac. You know what? Return of the Mac. The McLarens looked fast. They looked sharp. They looked like they were consistently improving. It looks like those guys are dialing in on how to drive the damn thing. I'm excited to see what those guys can do with a couple of Europe races ahead of them. I'll talk about why in a little bit, but I think that that's fun to see. I, I would like to see more racing between between those two and see them racing some other cars. So that'll be lots of fun. By the way, the venue, there were a lot of fun backmarker races. That's evidence that the track changes are good, but I still don't think Australia is an exceptional race. It was fun. I mean, I'm not going to give you that, but it wasn't a classic race. Like it wasn't a race where I'm like, I'm going to go back and watch at some point this year, or I might have it on the background if I'm vacuuming or something like that. But I don't think that I'm going to go, you know, sit down and like, yeah, man, I just got some free time and I just want to watch a race again. That said, though, I think it might be worth putting Oz somewhere else in the season so that it leads into one of the long breaks by way of like, yeah, okay, let's finish that party there and then just take a break for a while. And good for the drivers, good for everybody else. It's a lot of travel and you know, you're coming into Europe. Although I will say this, like for the next race, San Marino is an absolute blast every time. And I will always call it San Marino. Can I just say that I just quickly mapped it. You want to guess how far the actual track of Imola is from the Principality of San Marino? Nope, I really don't. I'm just happy calling it that. It's exactly 100 kilometers away, just for the record. That's fair. That's, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'd say look for more cars to be racy as they get more parts from factories that couldn't be shipped overseas. They're all of a sudden they've got more access to a lot more stuff. So it's a lot like you're bringing the upgrades, man. Like I think better parts, more parts, new things kind of coming onto those cars. We'll see how flat those wings get, how impressive those floors get. And it's going to be fun. I think if Phil breaks it, then hula skirt and really shakes those hips, that's going to be real something. If nothing else, opportunity for young Stroll to redeem himself because the man's a whiz in the rain. So you can see some good stuff there. That just makes me not want to bring out the hula skirt. Don't make me crowdfund that much harder for you to get a new skirt, man. <laughs> I'm texting your wife right now to encourage her to have you put the skirt on. <laughs> we'll even get you the coconut bra, man. Don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> oh, please. Thank you, guys. Oh, and New York can always count on you. Well, that's another checkered flag that drops on an episode of Flippin' F1. If you're listening at home, check us out at, at Flippin' F1. And for our eight listeners, thanks, Garrus Mom. We appreciate you, and we hope to see you again in a couple of weeks at San Rio. No, it's not. Bye. Say goodnight. <laughs> Good night. Good night, folks. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Flippin' F1 is a hobby farm production edited by Eric Wellman, who makes us sound way better and far funnier than we actually are.